Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello, welcome to episode number three. If you are unaware, we published an unscheduled episode last week to discuss the foreign policy of our ex-Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee. Do listen to that and let us know if you have any suggestions or comments. Today, in episode three, we will be talking about the economic meltdown in Turkey and how it is affecting the emerging markets around the world, including the Indian economy. We have lots to cover today, so without any further delay, let's begin with Turkey. So, Kishore, I know you have been following the the Turkey financial crisis for some time. So let's start with the basics. So why is the U.S. upset with Turkey? And what is the reason for President Trump to threaten Turkish President Erdogan? So can you bring us up to speed on in this regard, please? Uh, Yeah, sure. So uh, believe it or not, uh, the whole issue began with uh, an evangelical pastor by name Andrew Brunson, who has been working in a Christian missionary in a in a city called Izmit in the Turkey, in the Turkish uh, southwestern coast. He has been there for more than two decades. And uh, this time around uh, uh, two years ago, he wanted to renew his uh, visa. He walked into a police station, uh, but then he was arrested uh, on uh, charges of uh, plotting to overthrow the uh, Turkish government. Uh, and primarily, mind you, primarily the population in Turkey is predominantly uh, Muslim. So uh, this uh, kind of uh, strained the U.S.-Turkey relations and it mobilized the entire U.S. evangelical community and it also rattled the economic markets. Uh, Now, uh, Donald Trump uh, invariably sided with uh, the Christian evangelical pastor and he personally tweeted uh, uh, on this issue and he also tagged the Turkish uh, president Rajiv Tayyab Erdogan asking him to look into the matter and uh, release uh, uh, Mr. Brunson, who he called uh, as a wonderful Christian uh, husband and father, claiming that he had not done anything wrong. Uh, Erdogan on his part actually rejected the request and uh, also uh, did not care much about the threat. And now uh, he has uh, witnessed the US uh, slapping uh, sanctions on Turkey. US on its part hopes that uh, the economic squeeze would uh, arm twist Edward to agree to releasing uh, Brunson. Mm, Interesting. So what has been uh, the Turkish President uh, Erdogan's response to all these threats? So uh, Edward, he, as I told you, he defied all uh, requests from uh, Trump. Uh, He also uh, addressed uh, his uh, fellow citizens last week and he urged the Turkish uh, citizens to avoid uh, purchasing American technological products, including Apple phones, claiming that uh, there were alternatives like uh, Samsung phones that could be bought. 
So this is the kind of uh, rhetoric that's going around. In fact, one day later, Erdogan went a step further and claimed that US had uh, stabbed uh, Turkey in the back. Uh, thereafter, what happened was that the rating agencies like uh, Moody's and uh, Standard and Poor's, they also downgraded Turkey closer to the junk status. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I recall that two years ago, when there was an attempted coup against Erdogan, he addressed the nation through uh, FaceTime on an Apple device, and now <laughs> he's trying to ban uh, Apple, uh, which is kind of comedy of sorts in just two years, how he went from addressing on Apple device to banning Apple devices. Absolutely. And then uh, it's not just uh, uh, Erdogan, who is an Apple fan, Apple aficionado, but even the people in Turkey, they're quite, uh, they're quite uh, uh, happy to use Apple products. So there were enough research uh, done in the past week to figure out if uh, Turkish uh, people had significantly boycotted Apple products, but uh, none of that seems to be happening. People are happy to continue to buy Apple products. Yeah, the way Apple stock is going up, I don't think <laughs> any country on the earth doesn't like Apple products. True, true. So moving on, uh, is this the only issue which is uh, plaguing the Turkey-US ties at the moment? Uh, if we think that uh, this issue, uh, the issue between US and Turkey is limited only to the arrest of the pastor, uh, then we would clearly be short on facts. Uh, Turkey accuses US of not extraditing a person by name uh, Muhammad Fatullah Gulen, uh, who, who happens yeah. to be a Turkish preacher uh, and is now uh, kind of uh, uh, living in the US for quite a long while. Uh, and Turkey accuses him of being involved in the 2016 coup attempt that you mentioned about. In addition, uh, Turkey is also uh, ready to purchase the S-400 missile defense system from Russia. And this despite uh, Turkey being a NATO member. NATO members in general and US in particular are not pleased with this behavior. And they clearly see a threat to security when uh, Turkey would uh, when Turkey would be interoperating the S-400 missile defense system with the NATO fighter jets. And uh, needless to say, uh, US uh, has uh, threatened to impose further economic sanctions if Turkey goes ahead uh, with the purchase. Uh, in addition, Turkey had also been condemned uh, by many European nations when it failed to stop Europeans joining ISIS in uh, Syria. Uh, essentially by turning a blind eye to those who wanted to cross the border between Turkey and Syria. So uh, if, you have, if you have followed uh, uh, the ISIS and how it uh, recruited people closely, many people from Europe, they would uh, fly down to Istanbul uh, in uh, Turkey and they would then uh, go to the southern border of uh, Turkey, uh, southern border with uh, Syria, and they would manually uh, cross the border on foot. And uh, Turkey would essentially turn the blind eye to all this. So this has uh, kind of angered the, uh, the Western community, so to speak. And uh, in fact, the European leaders claim that this behavior hampered and slowed down and uh, probably even uh, to, a, to an extent compromised its fight against uh, ISIS in uh, Syria. Yeah, so a couple of follow-up questions. So I remember like uh, in the US, uh, where I live, I remembered some news where the former national security advisor Michael Flynn to President Trump, I think he was involved in a supposed plot 
to uh, in a basically it was a conspiracy that uh, they were going to uh, rendition Fethullah Gulen and deliver him to the Turkish government in exchange for 15 million dollars. I mean, uh, there's been no indictment for this, but it was a very interesting story where somebody associated with the closely with the incoming administration would be involved in plotting to kidnap Fethullah Gulen and deliver him to Turkey. Right, but the official stand continues to be that uh, uh, Gulen will not be extradited unless and until the US uh, uh, federal courts actually convict him. So the official stand continues to remain uh, unchanged. Yeah, and after the aborted coup or the failed coup, like a lot of the supposed supporters of Fatila Gulen, like they were uh, arrested and they were their their jobs were taken away in administrative and like teaching and university and all kinds of posts. Yes, like, and there were a, yes, there were a few uh, academics, there were a few uh, think tank uh, professionals as well in them, mm -hmm. uh, including uh, military personnel themselves. So yeah, all of them are facing a tough time uh, right now. Yeah, so it's like probably like a de facto dictatorship in Turkey. So coming to the second Indeed. part, you did you did mention ISIS and the easy. So what I remember is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that in the beginning, the Turkey was turning a blind eye. But I guess once the Kurdish rebels started growing in power, they started in, involved, getting involved more closely in opposing uh, the, the Syrian rebels. So was it like they didn't have animosity between Turkey and Syria? Like why were they turning a blind eye before? And then maybe was it that Kurdish rebels getting stronger? They started intervening more in the later years. So, uh, so essentially, uh, what happened was the Kurdish rebels, uh, with help from the U.S. Uh, and the other Western powers, they ended up uh, fighting ISIS on their own to the extent possible uh, by offering uh, small pockets of uh, resistance along the northern border. And uh, this kind of uh, uh, was not uh, to the liking of the Turkish uh, government, Turkish administration, mm -hmm. because simply, uh, simply uh, put, they did not want the Kurdish uh, groups to grow stronger and stronger. So mm -hmm. obviously, they uh, they wanted to support somebody uh, who would be fighting against the Kurdish uh, rebels, and this was one of the factors why they turned a blind eye. Hmm. It's also interesting you mentioned the S-400 uh, missile defense system, but because I, if I recall, uh, they Turkey was it Turkey who shot down that Russian uh, fighter jet over Syria? Yes, uh, it was a small uh, uh, anomaly on the in the maps, wherein uh, uh, the Russian pilot, unaware that he was entering Turkish airspace, he what he did was although he was uh, flying in a straight line. Uh, he mm -hmm. ended up crossing from uh, Syrian airspace into Turkish airspace uh, in an attempt to uh, get back into Syrian airspace. And mm -hmm. this was when the flight was, uh, the, the fighter jet was uh, shot by yeah. the and Turkish I, uh, groups. Yeah. And I remember there was a war of words between Erdogan and Putin, like... And, uh, and Putin, yes. Indeed. But it's indeed. interesting, so now because of... Uh, uh, this is kind of the strategic hedging or aligning to a different ally, like as everybody does. Like now, the relations with US are on a downhill. So now Turkey, Turkey is again gaining, uh, going closer to Russia. Yes, all the Russian, all the animosity with the Russians have long been forgotten. 
yeah so moving on to the economic part like how will like do you think that turkey's domestic economy is strong enough to withstand this so called uh, trade issue i'm uh, not trade sorry by pardon uh, this uh, pressure being put on by us uh, actually uh, uh, erdogan's uh, domestic policies have been extremely uh, disastrous and they themselves have contributed to the economic mess that uh, turkey finds uh, itself in today uh, erdogan interfered heavily in the functioning of the turkey of the turkish uh, central bank and uh, erdogan's uh, son in law himself is the finance minister today uh, talks so much of uh, nepotism and crony capitalism uh, turkey's growth uh, uh, on the contrary has been quite impressive in the first quarter of 2018 probably close to 4.5 to 5% however the current account deficit in 2017 has increased uh, by 20 uh, has increased by 50% from its 2016 numbers so the gap between the imports and the exports uh, keeps widening and this has uh, kind of resulted in a lopsided uh, trade deficit and uh, erdogan keeps uh, he tries hard to pin the blame on the us for all the economic difficulties but then the reality points to domestic factors and uh, surprisingly erdogan keeps repeating that any attempt to increase interest rates uh, would lead to inflation which is actually very surprising because when you want to slide the fall of the national currency you generally increase the interest rates so that you get better returns so people stay stay uh, with you uh, invested in your currency however erdogan uh, for for god knows what reason he believes that uh, doing any such thing would lead to inflation so yeah that's where they're stuck right now and uh, this kind of a mismanagement has now led to turkish lira crashing spectacularly to all time uh, record uh, low levels it has fallen almost 80% in the past one year alone and uh, last week uh, the collapse of the lira led to panic in all the emerging uh, markets around the world uh, resulting in uh, weaker currencies uh, vis-a-vis the us dollar so i guess dabaji uh, ka problem sirf india mein bhi nahi hai it's also in turkey <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah yeah sun in law been applied like we used to joke about robert wadra in india but i guess damaj ji ke problem sabhi deshon mein hai everywhere everywhere this <laughs> uh, interesting nepotism is uh, independent of like uh, any state okay so what's next for turkey yeah uh, turkey has an easy way out all it all it needs to do is to river uh, Uh, is to release the U.S. pastor in some kind of a deal and uh, send him back home, and uh, that can easily uh, that would easily lead to the U.S. lifting all the economic sanctions and the trade barriers that have been imposed in the past uh, fortnight or a month, and that would easily reverse the downfall. However, Erdogan, being uh, uh, the kind of a dictator that we know. Uh, he is uh, be he he continues to be defiant, showing no signs of uh, relenting at all. So as uh, things stand today, nations like uh, China, Russia, and Qatar, they have promised to help Turkey to ward off any uh, imminent uh, financial crisis. So this can, uh, in a way, to summarize geopolitically, 
uh, this can only be the beginning of a long drawn out shift in uh, geostrategic alignment. Turkey mm -hmm. and NATO might actually, uh, Turkey being part of uh, NATO all along, yeah. Yeah. Uh, both of them, they might re reach a stage where uh, they might agree that the best way out uh, would be that uh, Turkey would walk out of NATO. And that would imply that the NATO nuclear weapons and the US military personnel uh, who are currently uh, present in a military base in uh, Incirlik in uh, Turkey, mm -hmm. they would have to be vacated in the long run. And uh, this kind of a, uh, this kind of a uh, outward movement would clear the path for Turkey to join hands with uh, Russia, China, and eventually can also lead to formation of an axis to challenge the NATO hegemony in the region. Mm -hmm. So, like the like, it's no surprise that Turkey is sort of uh, moving towards the known is the surprise package in these states where it's seeking financial help from. Yeah, and, and that also kind of uh, uh, links well with the uh, shooting down of the Russian uh, fighter jet that we discussed uh, right now. So uh, from that kind of a low in the relationship, we now have an upward tick wherein uh, Turkey and uh, Russia uh, see eye to eye on most of the, uh, uh, most of the regional issues. You can call it hedging, you can call it new alignments. Okay, so let's leave it at that and focus our attention on the issue facing most of the emerging markets around the world today. So with the collapse of the Turkish Lira, this has aggravated the issue and the, the respective currencies all around the world, especially in the emerging markets in relation to the US dollar have been down on a downward spiral for a longer duration and it needs a deep dive discussion. So like the dollar i mean has appreciated against uh, the indian rupee by eight percent and also against a whole host of currencies however the interesting to note is that uh, when you compare today versus five years ago when the last major dip in the indian currency was that the rupee is stable versus all other major currencies be it the euro the pound the australian dollar or the yen so, or it is actually even slightly appreciated versus all other currencies. It's only the US dollar against which it has uh, depreciated in the same period. So many have attributed this, uh, uh, this downward trend to the strengthening of the dollar versus any major issue in India. So what has happened like interestingly over the last few years is that there have been significant uh, forex inflows during the last few years. And uh, because of the higher interest rates that the RBI uses to combat inflation. So what this has done is this infl uh, inflows into India have artificially inflated or strengthened the, the rupee. And at the current values, and many people argue that the depreciation of the Indian rupee versus the dollar is where the rupee should have actually been all along. But because of the high forex inflows, it kind of uh, appreciated a, a bit. And we were used to that level where it would have, it should have been in the 68 to 70 range all along. Now, interestingly, the principal uh, economic advisor to the government, Sanju Sanyao, has rightly said that the Reserve Bank of India, RBI, allows the rupee to find its level in the medium to long term. 
and the RBI only uses its forex reserves to temper short-term volatility. So many have argued that RBI should intervene hard and not allow go, go, the, go the rupee over the 70 mark. Now, the 70 is, is kind of a psychological uh, uh, barrier. So many people okay. are like getting worried about uh, like it, it's because it's a number. It just appears like I mean, imagine like there wasn't so much outrage uh, uh, when it was a like 68 or 16, which was already already low to begin with. But now it has reached the psychological cross the psychological 70. So there is a lot of uh, sort of panic in the Indian minds. Many of the Indian minds now RBI has intervened up to some extent. Like I mean, you can see that. Uh, the forex reserves are down to 400 billion versus let's say around 420 for some time ago mm -hmm. which is like more than sufficient to pay for nine months of imports i mean compare that to a situation of our neighbor pakistan which don't even have one and a half months uh worth of forex reserves to pay for their uh, ex, uh imports so yeah. uh, the problem is that most of our imports is including is traded in dollars so as is like most of our trade now since dollar is the reserve currency of like most of the imports what it happens is it ends up hurting india so some have suggested that what we should do is try to diversify our trading like let's say with the european partners in maybe euros or with other partners in their local currency to help buffer against this uh, depreciation of the dollar so uh, and interestingly like in the in like the episode one kishore we did discuss that how Iranian oil, which was cheaper because we got better terms on shipping and insurance, which uh, okay. which now if US pressures India to move away from Iranian crude, like it will be a double whammy because we will not get those sweeteners on shipping and insurance. So we have to pay more plus the dollar depression will hit us doubly hard. So now with the elections eight months away, the general election in India, the government, I think, is going to find it hard to move pass on this increase in price to the customers because there was some outrage when the prices of petrol increased like around the summer time frame and now to increase mm -hmm. it again would be politically hard for the government to do so uh the now the challenge is let's say if they bite the bullet and increase the prices what this does is this creates a uh, a cycle which doesn't help the macroeconomic picture so let me explain so let's say any increase in price due to the dollar depletion is passed on to the consumer. So not only it pinches the consumer at the petrol pump, but also you remember like most of the transportation of goods in India is done by trucks, right? So the petrol of the price of diesel goes up, it hits inflation. Now inflation, which is currently below, I believe below 5% would go up. Now if inflation goes up, it hits at your fiscal deficit which the fiscal deficit is basically your uh, the difference of your expenditures and your revenue. Now, the government has a plan to uh, peg the fiscal deficit as 3.5% of GDP. Now, I mean, it, it did run, run amok up all the way up to like 5% in the second term of UPA2. So they have done, a, yeah, they have done a good job of controlling the fiscal deficit, which does improve your macroeconomic picture so now if you let the fiscal deficit go because inflation goes up so then uh, if you don't want your uh, uh, deficit you have to rein in public spending right so now if you rein in public spending it results in lower growth now if it results in lower growth it 
affects your macroeconomic picture so like already our uh, trade deficit was uh, at an a uh, very high number and uh, e even the current account deficit which is basically a difference of your inflows and outflows of money which was it's already this expectation it will go to 2.5% of gdp which is significantly higher versus i think probably just 0.6 or 0.7% a couple of years ago so all this small small shifts in the fiscal deficit the current account deficit uh, inflation they will all hurt your economic picture so this doesn't help you in the long run now like all of our listeners might be wondering like okay this was a good rundown on the economic picture of how the dollar depreciation hurts india but how does it affect india now see like the us federal reserve has been increasing their interest rates uh from from quite some time and i think there are couple more rate hikes uh which are expected this year there's going to be a september rate hike and september, a december yeah, rate hike. so now yeah. what happens is few years ago when the us federal reserve to combat like the after effects of the global recession they had practically the interest rates at zero so what the investors used to do they used to pump money in the emerging markets because there was no returns to be had in us now as the us rates go up and some of these economies like just turkey did if they go in economic tailspin what that does is that it creates doubt in the mind of investors that okay could india be next and now with all the factors that i just mentioned if you have higher inflation if you have higher current account deficit if you have higher fiscal deficit uh, this will all hurt your macroeconomic picture so if turkey goes today i mean the economic picture in india is much better than it used to be like let's say 5 years ago but it will create a doubt in the mind of the investor could india be next now if it creates doubt people start pulling money out and it creates this vicious cyclical feedback loop where the rupee could depreciate further and the macroeconomic picture could even go worse and i haven't even taken into account the impact let's say an external event could have on let's say the the price of barrel of oil going up so this agreed, does agreed. yeah yeah so uh, agree so that was quite a uh, quite a, a showdown on the indian economy so uh, one one difference that i would want to point out is mm -hmm. uh, the economic uh, there has been quite a bit of uh, op ed columns written of late uh, trying to uh, trying to uh, draw parallel between the rupee downfall now and the rupee downfall uh, during upa 2 mm -hmm. and uh, opposition uh, being uh, playing its role wants to downplay the uh, rupee downfall right now claiming that uh, rupee has managed to hit the uh, psychological 70 rupee mark against the dollar uh, however one thing that uh, uh, needs to be uh, looked at is it it has never a absolute value comparison between uh, the dollar and the rupee or or any other currency for that matter it is generally a relative strength or relative weakness now just because uh, rupee is falling it always does not imply that the uh, that the macroeconomic factors within india are poor it might also mean that the macroeconomic factors within the us are actually getting better and better and the us economy is growing stronger and stronger and that mm -hmm. actually justifies why the us dollar is becoming stronger and as a result of which the uh, the federal bank in the us 
uh, is kind of forced to increase its uh, interest rates. And that is when the global investors would take out money from the emerging markets and invest them in the US markets. And when that kind of a uh, resource crunch or a supply crunch uh, hits emerging markets, that is when all the factors that you mentioned uh, uh, start appearing uh, in the in the horizon. Now, uh, having said that, we need to compare the fall uh, of the rupee uh, now as compared to the fall in uh, during the times of UPA2. Mm -hmm. uh, during UPA2, actually, uh, uh, believe it or not, in uh, mid of 2010, uh, the rupee was at uh, an all-time, uh, not an all-time, but uh, significantly good uh, high of 44 to the dollar. And within the next uh, two to three years, we all knew what happened. So from 44, it slid all the way to around 67, 68, which was a good 50% uh, uh, fall in the value of the Indian rupee. And mind you, th this was uh, uh, this was not uh, due to any strength in uh, the recovery of the US economy or the US dollar. This was plainly due to the uh, weakening of the Indian economy and the policy uh, paralysis that we had and the multiple uh, corruption uh, cases that were going on and the general public uh, uh, negative uh, uh, sympathy. So all these kind of led to uh, foreign investors taking the money out from uh, the Indian economy, leading to uh, rupees sliding from uh, the levels of 44 to 68. Compare that to uh, what we are seeing now, where uh, Maybe when uh, NDA, uh, maybe when uh, the Modi government came in uh, 2014, uh, the rupee was somewhere at around the 58-59 mark, and from 58-59, uh, it has uh, slid down to the 70 mark now, which is about 18 percent if you look at uh, the end-to-end -end of uh, uh, four, four and a half years. But I still believe uh, that uh, the macroeconomic factors. In Indian uh, in the Indian economy are quite uh, stable and healthy and uh, whatever numbers you see right now whatever uh, relative slide you see is all uh, primarily due to the US uh, dollar strengthening yeah see I mean interestingly just a few days ago uh, President Trump had indicated that he's not with happy with the Fed policy of increasing interest rates uh, and then the Fed replied, uh, I think the Fed chairman replied that they're going to follow their path that they have charted out depending mm -hmm. on the economic condition and uh, they are not going to like listen to like Trump's advice. Because interestingly, see, if the US in increases interest rates, people pull out of money out of emerging markets where they perceive a risk and they say like, why not we invest in US if we're getting like good returns. So now it's making the dollar stronger. Now, as you know, yeah. Trump has a big agenda of trade imbalances now exactly. if the dollar appreciates it makes their exports uncompetitive so it becomes harder for us to close the trade deficit if the dollar becomes stronger so he wants a weaker dollar interestingly uh, just to make sure their uh, exports don't become uncompetitive and second regarding the currency i mean this is my take that see like in 5 years ago the rupee was sliding versus all the major currencies of the world. But uh, today, like it is only weakening against the dollar. So there is a very uh, 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 a differentiation 
versus like what happened five years ago now many people are saying that uh like like at that time the when the currency slid uh like uh like prime minister modi made it a campaign issue and now it's fair that the opposition attacks it but you have to look at the nuances below the big picture that why has it depreciated interestingly the other day i heard that if you compare it versus a basket of 36 currencies in which the trade of indian trade occurs it is actually appreciated over the last uh, 12 months or some uh, time period i can't recall exactly so if you add all the currencies up it's actually appreciated but yes. it's just that because the dollar is the major trading currency of india we get hit the hardest because of it yeah justify the point uh, that we are trying to make yeah yeah so now uh, like one might have like uh, say that let's say all this economic discussion is well and good but how does it play a role in strategic affairs i mean how does it help hurt in india how what it what it has to do with indian foreign policy hey wasn't this a foreign policy discussion after all so see today india's economy uh, sorry china's economy is like 5x times of india a fact they were in, interestingly constantly reminding us in a stream of persistent verbal threats during the doklam standoff which again interestingly is in the news this week but i mean that would be for a different discussion so as you see that china's rise in the world has been seen with rising economic prosperity now their economic prosperity over the last 30 years has increased their political clout in the foreign policy now what this means for india is that if we don't uh, grow at a high rate china is going to pull away in, even more from india skewing this this ratio of 5x to even a bigger gap now what india needs is that we need to grow consistently at 8 to 10% to close the gap between the two countries this helps this will help india to improve the standing in not in terms of economic clout but also our projection of soft and hard power now india we cannot aspire to be a regional powerhouse without uh, getting the economic power so economic the the military power is all well and good but some of it does flow from being an economic power and like uh, aparna pande in her book uh, from chanakya to modi says uh, that indian economy has a tremendous potential and there is a huge demographic dividend which is waiting to be harnessed this government has a once in a lifetime opportunity to build on this by harnessing the indian and global corporate sectors to spur economic growth so i believe that as the indian economy let's say if it grows like well at 8% or even higher as we close the gap with china i believe it will give us much more leverage in negotiating with china which is a sore point right now that china has moved uh, leaps and bounds ahead of us so as maybe by middle of the decade let's say we close the 5x gap to let's say 2 and a half x in terms of economic power it will automatically reflect in terms of uh, uh, our position vis-a-vis -vis china and especially when the chinese economy itself uh, is showing signs of uh, slowing down uh, the the rate at which the gap would be closed down the rate at which the gap would be narrowed down would only be accelerated yeah so i mean they are i would say what you call in the classical middle income trap uh, situation so they are slowing down so this is the opportunity with our uh, bulk of our demographic dividend like coming to the working age where their working age is increasing day by day 
we could really grow from 8 to 10% to start to close the gap more aggressively. And this is going to help us out in the long run. Absolutely. So yeah, that uh, uh, closes our discussion on the fall of the Indian rupee and uh, other major currencies against the US do dollar in the past few months. Uh, okay, switching on uh, as part of our recommendations. Mohal, what do you want to recommend uh, today? So I saw this fascinating conversation on Rajya Sabha TV, uh, hosted by Frank Rojan Pereira, The Big Picture. So there was an episode on the, the fall of the Turkish Lira and how it impacts the Indian economy and the Indian rupee. So I would recommend uh, the viewers to view that on YouTube. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so uh, my recommendation for the day is actually a positive story uh, coming out from uh, Africa, a developing positive story. Uh, Africa, when you generally uh, hear the word Africa, you generally uh, have a lot of negatives in your mind, poverty, uh, corruption, civil war and likes. But uh, uh, what we have been seeing in the past month, month and a half uh, has baffled uh, everybody. Uh, we all know that uh, the country Eritrea separated from uh, Ethiopia in 1993 and uh, within uh, two years uh, ended up uh, in a border dispute uh, and uh, leading to a war with uh, Ethiopia. And uh, the, the two nations have been at war ever since over a small uh, section of uh, land. Uh, what happened uh, uh, during that time was that uh, Eritrea uh, actually uh, forced uh, uh, permanent uh, conscription for all adult males, which in, uh, which in simpler terms means that uh, uh, all, all adult males will have to join the army for an indefinite period. Now, uh, people, uh, people not wanting to get into the army were actually running out of the country, but not knowing where to go, uh, were actually uh, getting onto boats uh, trying to cross the Mediterranean uh, going into Europe. Now, what has happened in the past month is that a new person by name Abi Ahmed has become the Prime Minister in Ethiopia and he has unilaterally uh, gone ahead and uh, uh, gone ahead and uh, uh, offered uh, an olive branch to uh, Eritrea, uh, giving, back, uh, giving back the land uh, that uh, was disputed all along. And uh, this has resulted in uh, both the countries uh, declaring uh, the end of uh, hostilities and also setting up uh, embassies in uh, both the capitals and uh, even starting uh, flight services between the, between the capital uh, cities. So uh, this in turn has uh, allowed uh, Eritrea to announce that uh, going forward they will not uh, force uh, uh, military conscription on all adult males in their country. So uh, this has definitely uh, resulted in a uh, uh, lot of uh, good vibes within uh, Eritrea. And even the European Union, which uh, bore the brunt of illegal uh, migration during uh, the last migration crisis two and a half, three years ago, has kind of welcomed all the uh, events that are happening and it's quite hopeful that uh, this will lead to prosperity both within uh, Ethiopia and uh, Eritrea. So uh, people generally keep asking me, why do we need to look at uh, all uh, happenings around the world? And uh, this is one such reason 
why I believe we need to look at uh, things that happen around the world. A small event of a, of a new young prime minister uh, uh, becoming uh, leading a country and uh, ending all hostilities, uh, even stopping a border war which uh, went on for 20 long years. Uh, this has a long, uh, long run ramification around the world and uh, leading to uh, end of hostilities and uh, even growth of peace. So yeah, that's my positive story for the week. So uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, as already indicated, do listen into episode number two and if you haven't already, uh, where we discuss the foreign policy legacy of Sri Atal Bihari Vajpayee. We urge you to subscribe to our channel India Rising and also tap on the bell icon to be notified whenever a, uh, whenever a new episode goes public. If you have any comments or suggestions on any topics you wish to hear upon, do let us know. Until the next episode, this is Kishore Narayan and Mohal Joshi wishing goodbye.